Hi, I'm Rahat. Hi, I'm Mahasudo. And you're listening to Tech for Humans. Welcome to a new episode of Tech for Humans. My name's Rahat, and today we have Erica Miles with us. Erica, can you introduce yourself a little bit for everyone? Yeah, sure. Um, so, like you said, my name is Erica, and I am a front-end developer based out of Atlanta. Um, I recently started working professionally um, in web development in December of 2019, um, and I'm mostly self-taught-ish. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Um, yeah, Hasbro and I also recently started. Um, Hasbro very recently, and I started a few months ago. Wait, hasn't it been a year? Didn't you hit a year yet? It'll be a year in July, so oh, it's okay. not a year. I still say a few months. Um, cool. So yeah, we brought you on today. We wanted to talk to you a little bit about accessibility. Um, can you give us, I guess, a little bit of a introduction to what you do with accessibility, how you get into doing things? Yeah. So as far as what I do with it, um, so at my job, like I said, I'm a front end developer, um, for an insurance company and I am on a team that basically is over like the homepage and landing pages for um, products and things like that. Um, so as far as accessibility, we have an accessibility team and previously they used to test our pages, um, but they kind of had to scale back on that just to like the sheer volume of all of the teams sending all of their work to them. Um, so we took over our own pages. So basically anything that we develop, it's our job to make sure that they're meeting like accessibility guidelines and standards um, before they go out into production. Um, before I started my job, I had first learned about accessibility um, on Twitter. There are like some really cool people that were talking about accessibility and I kind of took an interest in it from what they were saying. Um, I've been a person where I've always kind of wanted to have some sort of, what do I want to say, have meaningful, if you will, or impactful work in what I do. And I feel like um, learning more about accessibility is a way to do that in web development. Um, and it's kind of weird. It's considered like a niche thing when really in all actuality, it should be considered a standard. So I'd like to hope to contribute to changing that, that mindset with people. Yeah, definitely getting buy-in from everyone else that accessibility is important can probably be one of the hardest parts of actually <laughs> getting <laughs> into it. Um, so can you give us like some contests and maybe like, do you, um, do like accessibility like in terms of like a React app or like what technologies are you usually using? Yeah, so um, when we do testing for our pages, um, we do it in the context of React. Um, other teams, of course, they have to do whatever it is that they're working in. Gotcha. So um, so you mentioned like your team kind of like started doing that kind of recently, is that correct? Yes, um, they started doing it before I came to the team. Um, and I believe there's a company called DeQ. Um, they actually came, and I think they still do, they'll come on site every now and then um, for my employer and they'll do like an accessibility bootcamp. Um, but mainly what it entails for what we do, um, we do start, usually we'll do like browser audits, um, we'll physically go through the pages or applications with like a screen reader um, and anything that's not meeting any standards. Um, we have to fix those defects and have them revalidated before we can put it out in production. Um, luckily, we have like a design team that, of course, when they make the designs, 
they're basing them off of accessibility guidelines and it's our jobs to implement it in an accessible way or if something can't really be implemented the way they'd like it um, to kind of send it back to them with suggestions on how we can kind of meet their vision with modifications to make sure it remains accessible. Yeah, that's wonderful that you guys are so centric around or centered around accessibility. Uh, you know, you mentioned how you're self-taught. Rohan and I are bootcamp grads. And I feel like even people who did the general, um, the traditional CS background in college, they don't really cover accessibility in school or in these instructions. Um, what are some ways or what are some ways you got into it? Um, and what are your recommendations for people to get into accessibility and incorporate that into their work? Yeah, so the way I got into it, um, I just kind of stumbled across it on Twitter. There's a ton of information um, out there. Like if you search the hashtag um, A11Y, there'll be plenty of like resources and things that come up. Um, for anyone who's interested in getting into it, it's definitely one of those things where if you implement it from the beginning, it's a lot easier going forward than to go back and to try to redo it. And really honestly, getting the basics isn't that difficult. Like using semantic HTML and semantic markup, that's like a huge way to hit like a lot of um, kind of the standards and things like that. Um, and if you familiarize yourself with like ARIA labels for JavaScript, um, putting those in when you're building like your React components in the first place, instead of trying to go back and redo them, um, that's a lot easier. Um, and of course I have like resources and things like that if you wanted me to share any of those. Yeah, I think definitely I'd love to hear some of those. So for general info, um, where I usually go to and where like our guideline at work, um, we kind of have like an internal database that lists like all of the guidelines and how we need to meet them. It's based off of the web content accessibility guidelines or WCAG. Um, and that comes from, I believe, the World Wide Web Consortium. So w3.org slash WAI. It basically has an outline of all of the standards. Um, there's single A, double A, and triple A standards. Um, single A means you're just barely meeting the baseline for accessible. Double A is what most businesses, including where I work, strive to hit. Triple um, A is like I want to say almost next to impossible, like most sites won't get that. <laughs> it's something good to aim for, but it's not hard required. Um, DeQ, like I mentioned earlier, they have lots of resources. I use them a lot for their screen reader shortcuts. Um, when I first started at my job, using a screen reader was definitely pretty daunting and something to get used to, but having those guides and those shortcuts definitely helped a lot. And we use a lot of like browser plugins to help like run audits. So I think there's like a wave one, it's like at wave.webaim.org and it's like a suite of evaluation tools. There's the attest worldview plugin for Chrome and like Lighthouse, which are the same things. Basically you can run an in-browser audit and that tells you a lot about what you can fix on your page. Cool. Yeah, I remember the first time I kind of like tried using a, a screen reader on like one of my, the web apps I built. And it was one of the worst things I've ever heard in my life. I was like, oh, no. I know. I was oh, like, no. is it broke? I was like, what? What did I do? It sounds like that. And they're like, you just have to slow it down and so you can keep up with it. I'm like, oh, okay. Definitely, yeah. So, you, yeah, you mentioned, um, like, those resources um, and, like, everything you've been doing at work. What are, I guess, some, like, the main takeaways 
from your work that you've done um, over the past maybe couple months in accessibility? Yeah, so the main takeaway that I've gotten from it is one, it's super important. Um, like just in like the training materials, there were lots of like statistics on people who rely on like assistive technologies and basically just have a need in general for your product to be accessible. Like it's a huge amount of users. And so you definitely don't want to exclude people um, when it's so easily rectifiable, like to make your apps and websites accessible. Um, what else is the takeaway? It's important, <laughs> that's the main one. And there's a lot to learn. Like if it's something that if you get into it, you will never be bored. Like every time I do something, like if I test an application or a page, I have to like look stuff up. So I'm like, wow, I've never seen this before. Or I'll get like an error in like one of the audit tools and I'm like, what does this mean and how do I fix it? So it's definitely interesting. And it's kind of like a good way to be like an ally to the community. Because um, of course, I see this a lot with accessibility. Usually the main people advocating for it are like disabled people or people who rely on it. And it's kind of not fair because they already have the burden of having to like deal with all that. They also shouldn't have to implement it. So the rest of us can definitely do our part to kind of help them out and help make things more accessible. You know, you uh, touched upon this about how there's such a large percentage of users that rely on accessibility. And I still feel like developers and companies are still not wanting to take that step. You know, what are some reasons that while you've done work, uh, like if you were to try to convince other companies or other developers why they should incorporate in accessible into their work? Yeah, so I mean, you can look at it from, in the way I think of it, you can look at it from one of two standpoints. Like you can look at it from like a moral standpoint. So if you had someone who wanted to use their, their pro your product, you wouldn't arbitrarily decide, oh, well, you just can't use it just because. And when you make products that aren't accessible, that's essentially what you're doing. You're deciding, oh, you're visually impaired. I'm not, you just can't use my product because I'm not gonna make it visually accessible or something like that. Um, the other way you can look at it from a financial standpoint, you can actually get sued if your product isn't accessible. So there's been like a couple of high profile ones. So maybe <laughs> if you don't think of it from a standpoint of wanting to include everyone, maybe you can think of it from the point of, you don't want to get sued. Yeah, I think sometimes just that having that little business reason is pretty <laughs> good for getting the buy-in. You you mentioned that you, like you were self-taught. Um, are there any like online courses, blogs, or things like that you kind of like look into or like to use for um, learning more about accessibility or just in general? Yeah. So starting out, it didn't seem like it was something that was widely talked about. Like even in a lot of like beginner. HTML and CSS tutorials, like simple things like for images, you should always have like an alt tag for your image describing what it is. Because if someone is like using your application through an assistive device, like a screen reader, it tells them what it's a picture of. So that way, if it's something that relates to the content on the page, they're not missing out on like crucial bits of information. And a lot of tutorials would be like, oh, we'll just leave this blank for now. Or we'll just put like some arbitrary phrase in there that doesn't mean anything. Um, so I kind of had to dig for resources that went in depth. I know Marcy Sutton has a course, um, that definitely dives into accessibility. And I know there are some on egghead dot, dot yeah, I can't talk today, egghead.io. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I know like the DeQ 
website, they have lots of like intro things and the w3.org, they have like an intro thing that just basically walks you through what accessibility is, who it's impacted by, and just like beginner steps as far as like implementing it. Nice. So from my understanding, and I don't know, I guess too much about accessibility, which I'm hoping to change, um, a lot of it is just like really doing semantic HTML markup. Um, is that correct? Yeah, it can be from a developer point of view. Um, I'm lucky in the sense that since I work for like a large corporation, we have a design team. So they take into account things like color contrast and font size and things like that. Um, and it's kind of built into our design system. So I don't have to worry about it. But if you're someone who's like freelancing or doing products for yourself, um, you would have to look into things like color contrast and stuff like that. Um, but for the most part, as a developer, if you focus on semantic HTML and the ARIA labels for like your JavaScript, that covers like a huge portion of it to start. Okay. So in terms of like the JavaScript side of things, it's really the ARIA labels that you focus on? Yep. So um, everything doesn't always require an ARIA label. Like you want to look into it and make sure that you're using the right ones. But mainly that's kind of what that's for. Um, but the semantic HTML takes up a lot. Like a lot of people will go and make like a button out of a div. But if you do that, <laughs> a screen reader won't know that it's a button and it won't give the person like the right auditory cues um, for what to do next. So if you just implement things like button tags, if you use nav tags um, to group like related links together or unordered lists or order lists, it really changes the way that the screen reader announces it and makes a whole lot more sense for the user. And also mm -hmm. if you're using semantic HTML, like the correct headers and things like that, it helps the user navigate through the page a lot quicker. Nice, yeah. I, I've heard like some horror stories of people who've done like PRs. Um, it's like open source stuff or other things. And there was one story I heard of like someone actually like refactored a bunch of divs to be buttons and oh. Not only did it like make it more accessible, it also like removed a bunch of lines of code that were unnecessary. And yeah. his P the PR was rejected and the person really didn't give a reason as to why it was rejected. They just said no. And I'm when I saw that, I'm just like, but A, your code is now better. B, like you're actually, you know, including people um, that weren't, I guess, included before. So it's it sometimes baffles me that people like don't want to almost like bring that into their like daily code or whatever that's so weird because yeah if i look at a bunch of divs i got to like sort through and figure out what it is but if it's a button i can see that it's a button or it's a section right. it's easy <laughs> Definitely. right i think the best way to like combat that is just to force these devs to reuse a screen reader themselves for a week, mm -hmm. and then and then everything will change magically. Yeah, once I started using a screen reader, I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I was like, is this what it sounds like? I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but when you hear the difference between like something that's marked up really well versus something else, it's it's a lot easier and just kind of like a culture change. Like, I don't know, it kind of gets like a reputation that people are kind of nitpicking when they ask you to make things accessible. But I think if people can actually 
immerse themselves in the experience, they can actually see how useful it can be. And of course, you want people to think your product is easy to use because that's that's better for you. That's job security as a developer. So hopefully there'll be a change in like people's mindsets. Definitely. Yeah. I think there's like a lot of just like going back on like the semantic HTML thing. There's like a lot of things you kind of get for free when you're using semantic HTML. I remember the other day I was like building a form and like labeling the inputs correctly. I would get like for the email validation, a little popover would come up like, hey, you need to put an actual email in here. <laughs> I'm just like, this is great. I didn't know this could do that. <laughs> yeah. Me either. Until like recently, I was like, oh, this is nice. <laughs> <laughs> I guess um, like with the buttons and everything, uh, I would uh, before I would try to like override some of the styles and like get rid of the outline because I'm just like, oh, no, this looks kind of ugly. I don't like this blue outline. And it never occurred to me that that outline's important. Oh, yeah, the focus outline? The focus outline, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely important for, like, when someone's tabbing through. Because, like, one of the, the uh, what do I want to say? One of the, like, pillars of accessibility? Like, um, so there's four of them. There's perceivable, operable, understandable, and robust. And I think operable is the one where basically at work they showed me, like, a user has to be able to completely navigate up, down, through everything in the page, like using a keyboard. And I had never really considered that someone would do that. But after doing that, I'm like, oh, well, that makes like a whole lot of sense. And now even myself, I'll find myself just kind of tabbing through things just to like see or like on my own when I'm on other sites. So don't take the focus off. <laughs> you know, I feel like a lot of gamers do that. Like they refuse to use the mouse and they stick the keyboard. And I feel like a lot of people I talk to that are I guess more PC gamers when we're doing our boot camp they're like testing that on their own website I guess at that time I didn't even know there were, that was a form of accessibility it was just to see if you can arrow and tap through everything properly and it you know that's a great point that you make like that the fact that that is part of accessibility I feel like if you ex if more people understood that it would make it a lot easier uh, for people to implement accessible uh, workflows into their um, businesses. Yeah, I have a coworker who like hardly ever uses a mouse, and I'm like, how? But yeah, a lot of people, if they have um, like tactile disorders, like if you have like a tremor with your hand, like using your mouse to like click on something on the screen can be a little daunting. So if they can mm -hmm. just tab through, it's a lot easier for them. Definitely. Yeah, I've also seen people just like, yeah, kind of like House mentioned, gamers and just people who just refuse to use the mouse for most things because the keyboard is like faster. But like, I guess those are like some also people with like use like Vim with their magic fingers and <laughs> <laughs> can't do that. <laughs> no, no, I can barely use like all the shortcuts in VS code. My coworkers like, why don't you use this shortcut? And I'm like, look, I just started using <laughs> shortcuts for like cut, copy and paste. Leave me alone. Okay. I'm trying. Hasbro loves shortcuts, but like I, I also have like adopt them very slowly. Yeah, it takes uh, me a I while. Mean, <laughs> the way to add on shortcuts, like I've seen this trick and I've done it, is just get a post-it, pick one shortcut, put on it and keep using it until you stop looking at that post-it to like remember that shortcut and okay. then you go to the next one. So it might take you a day or it might take you a month to remember it. So, you know, but I've done that. Um, I just like doing that because I, I don't want to keep using my mouse and keyboard to do the same thing over and over. If I'm going to do an action over and over again, I'll just learn that shortcut. Let's try that. So in terms of, I guess, like 
testing out your accessibility. You mentioned a couple things like uh, the lighthouse, um, those scores and things like that. Um, what do you use kind of like, I guess in production to make sure that your accessibility ratings are up to par? Yeah, so before we put anything out into production, um, we, I at least I do on our team, we all run it through, um, I believe it's called the Worldview Attest. Um, it's like an auditing tool, it's a Chrome plugin. So we do that. Um, next, after that, there's a few more plugins, um, and a lot of them are available on like the sites I mentioned earlier, but you can add them to your browser and it'll basically, some of them will highlight all of the HTML on the page. So you can make sure like the semantics make sense. You can check the order of the headers um, and the flow of your page. Um, the attest one, it also audits like your contrast and things like that. And then once our pages are out into production, um, that's when our accessibility team, they will go back behind us and they'll actually audit all of our work. So if we've missed anything, then they'll send it to us and we'll have to get those fixed like as soon as possible. And they have to, at that point, confirm that we've actually fixed it and put it within the guidelines. Um, and then we have to push those changes out to production. Um, usually they do it about every month or so, um, just to kind of make sure that we haven't missed anything. You know, have you, or I don't know, in the history of the company you've worked at, um, has any production been delayed because it failed accessibility testing? Or how does your company like have a con contingency plan set up for any delayed releases? So in our like testing workflow, before we put things, well, we'll put it into a test environment, but accessibility is actually the very first thing that we test. Um, so if the tester finds any defects in the product during that phase, you have to fix them and have them revalidated before it can go on into other test environments and be reviewed. Um, so it's kind of one of those things where if you're falling behind, that's just unfortunate, but you can't go forward without it passing like accessibility testing. Um, if it's something where we have any questions or it's kind of like questionable if we can put something out in production, then we would have to consult with our accessibility team and ask them like, hey, we can't get it beyond this. Is this okay to go into production? Or like, what do you suggest? Um, but since it's on the front end, it usually doesn't get kind of pushed to the side, at least for our team. I remember uh, earlier you mentioned like if you're like a freelancer or someone working on your own, you'd want to you know check for contrast and different things like that. Um, are there any rules or things that you can kind of like look into for that? I don't know, like like for me, I guess okay. the only thing I can really think of is like don't put blue text on the blue background or something like that. But it's hard to I guess figure out. Yeah. So let me see if I have one listed. I'm trying to think. I have like a ton of bookmarks. I just need to like put them out in the world <laughs> but one of them um okay so there's colorsafe.co and that's a palette okay. generator that'll kind of put together accessible colors for you and also like the webaim.org in the resources they have like color checkers and basically what it is you'll put like your background in and your font color in and like the font size and basically it'll spit out like a number and based on that number it'll tell you if it's in an acceptable range or if it's unacceptable. And usually what it is, um, either there's not enough color contrast for the size of the font, so you can use some pairings together if the fonts are larger. Um, but a lot of it is focused on people with like color blindness, so making sure you're not putting two colors together that would 
make it so they can't clearly distinguish things um, or making sure like the contrast isn't too high or too low. So it's actually pretty cool. I actually found out that a lot of nice. a lot of font like font and color pairings that I like, since I like to use like thin fonts, like when I'm doing like my own projects, mm. they aren't accessible. And I think there's actually gotcha. um, simulators that show you how a person with like color blindness or something like that would see your page. Okay. Yeah, that would be definitely useful to have. Um, like, yeah, all oh, this kind of reminds me of like this new, I don't know if it's like a really new thing that's been happening, like this, um, I'm probably gonna butcher uh, the, saying it, but like new morphism or something. Yeah. And when I first looked at it, it looked kind of cool, but like kind of thinking about like accessibility and all that and it's all just like a bunch of shadows and stuff to make it look like, I guess, different designs. So someone who's colorblind or has a vision impairment probably wouldn't be as thrilled with those really cool designs as we are. Yeah, I saw some of that earlier and I was like, oh, that's really cool. And then I was like, well, it's all like pretty much the same color. So, I mean, I'm sure there's ways you could incorporate accessibility into it to kind of like make your vision work. but. A lot of it seems a little a little dicey. I, I just looked it up right now and it bothered me so much. I don't and I don't have color blindness or anything like that, but um, I don't know if it's something just triggering me and my mom has like a coma and I have like a small chance of developing that when I'm older and I'm just thinking like if she was looking at this she would hate it too. And I'm just like I think I'm I might yeah, I don't know why this trend exists. Please do not do it. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of like trends that aren't exactly accessible, like the gifts a lot, like repeating over and over. There's actually a way where you can set like a limit on your site. So if like someone has like epilepsy or something like that, you're not triggering something with them. Or if people get like vertigo, if people have like the moving backgrounds and all of that, there's actually settings that you can put into your code. Um, so if they have like a certain setting enabled in their browser, it won't give them like motion sickness or something. I was like, oh, that's really cool and useful. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's I get so many things that we, I guess we kind of just do because they're cool and we don't think about it, <laughs> like how it's affecting people or anything like that. So yeah, definitely looking into accessibility is something that we probably all should do. And it really should be part of, I guess, the education process of like boot camps and um, traditional degrees or whatever. I feel like, I feel like almost like um, people who are self-taught like yourself like have an advantage there because you're like kind of always looking for things uh, to learn. So you kind of like stumble upon all these stuff. Uh, like you mentioned, like you you saw this on Twitter and like kind of go go on from there. So, um, so that's like an awesome way to like find these things. But I guess before like. Uh, I guess some of us were boot camp uh, grads or some people who are in CS routes before they actually, I guess, start exploring and looking at what's out there. It would be awesome to have that as part of like the education system in general. Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, the more you're exposed to something, it's a lot easier to make it like a habit. And if you're doing something like a boot camp or school, if you're in kind of like a guided curriculum, you probably have like a limited amount of time to learn a ton of things. So it's hard to go out on your own, I'm sure, and like find additional things to like supplement. So hopefully going forward, that'll be something that can be kind of woven into people's curriculums and stuff. 
I agree. I mean, I don't think it's too hard, though. Um, I mean, I, I've taken CS classes in college and the boot camp, and, I, and both my instructors, you know, professors plus boot camp instructors, they were like, oh, yeah, this is accessibility stuff. You can look it up later. And they gloss over it. Um, <laughs> like the Altag, like when I, like, almost every single class slash boot camp, uh, boot camp lesson uh, with images, anything, the alt ha uh, tag was always looked over. They're like, oh, just put it in there. Oh, you don't even need it. I feel like that was the attitude for a lot of instructors. So until that attitude changes or, I guess, new people start teaching and bring in um, the answer that, hey, we need to be accessible. It's going to take a while for that to change within the education system. Yeah, it'll take some time, but I think it's doable. Definitely. A lot of good things take time. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, we usually like to wrap up our episodes with like a catch-up session. So what are you up to outside of work? Uh, hopefully staying sane <laughs> from all this uh, staying inside. Man, not... Not much as of recently, unfortunately. <laughs> like for a while, um, my daughter, she's actually in like Cub Scouts. And actually this past weekend, we were supposed to go camping. And I was really excited for it because last time I went camping, I'm like not a nature person at all. And I went and I was like, okay, this is cool. So like this year, I was like, I'm going to get us like this fancy tent and all this other stuff. And of course it got canceled. So I'm like, all of my hobbies other than that are like just ordering food for takeout <laughs> or shopping online so I'm like oh trying to find new things to do to keep myself occupied I think one of the hardest things is just like seeing everything that's canceled and trying to figure out okay what do I do now instead of this right I was just thinking about uh when I was a Cub Scout my parents never let me go camping so I was like Aww. nothing changed for me <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Tech for Humans. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. You can tweet us at techforhumans.io or listen to all of our episodes at techforhumans.io. That's tech, the number four humans.io. Episodes are available on all major podcast platforms.